This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Jerry Fu is not your ordinary pharmacist. He has transformed his career in pharmacy into a career as a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders. It's just about opposite from where he started. Mr. Fu says back then he was so reluctant to deal with conflict that he was ultimately fired. But he says he took that as a wake-up call. He joins us for this edition of Biz News Interviews to talk about what happened after that bump in his road to success. Jerry, would you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background? How did you end up where you are right now in your career? Yeah, yeah. A couple, I guess you could say, markers along the way. My parents came over from Taiwan for grad school and finished in Wisconsin, which is where I was born. And then when my dad's job took him in different directions, we ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee, all places. And then I I graduated uh, from high school there. Then I came down to Houston, Texas for college at the behest of my uh, mother, uh, who had spent some time in Arlington and said, hey, this is a school we think you should take a chance on. So I ended up taking her advice and it was a good school. And at the same time, uh, very competitive, more than I expected. And so my initial dreams of being a pre-med were quickly dashed and humbled, but I still wanted to do healthcare. So I decided on pharmacy and went to Memphis for pharmacy school. And then once I graduated, moved back to Knoxville, worked there for a chain pharmacy for a couple of years, and then decided I needed something different. So I moved down to Houston again for a teaching job with the pharmacy consulting company, proceeded to get fired 11 months later. And then that's when the roller coaster got really weird where I first ended up at a house of cards, independent pharmacy where four of my paychecks bounced for crooked doctors. Yeah, how do you confront that boss who's clearly ripping you off? It's not in life's manual, right? And so from there, after nine months of chasing paychecks and hoping I didn't get in too much trouble, my friends got me on with a company that was more legitimate but couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. So from there, um, I worked for their location out in Austin to get more hours, which is not the worst place to end up, but it just wasn't home. So that summer, this is 11 years ago now, I had the opportunity to help teach some leadership material through a pharmacy leadership nonprofit, some friends of mine. And that was, you could say, one of the key turning points in my career journey, because up until then, I had a very fixed mindset about my capabilities as a leader. I didn't like difficult conversations. I didn't like looking incompetent. I didn't like it when people didn't like me. So I just said, you know what? Instead of going through the failure and learning and adjusting and growing, I'm just going to avoid these situations altogether because it's just exhausting. And so now, instead, after teaching this leadership material, I said, well, you know what? What if I could be a good leader? What would that involve? How would I carry myself? And so when a full-time manager position opened up in Houston later that fall, I said, absolutely. I want to take on this challenge. You can't afford to stay safe or scared. And I want to sleep in my own bed again. So let me come back to Houston. Then nine months later, I proceeded to get written up because I was not disciplining or firing uh, bad technicians. And so I was you know, eating more humble pie. And uh, while I was on probation, the company had their funding pulled. 
And the only reason I even got an interview with my next company was that now I had leadership experience in my resume. And so I tell people all the time that leadership saved my career and that it opened up more doors than I would have had otherwise. But the pharmacy independent job market is very uh, fleeting, you could say. Most of the business models didn't last more than two years for the time that I worked for any company after that. So they melted like icebergs. It's like you hop from one to another and then it melts. So you have to hop to another one. And so about six years ago, after my previous employer went under, I said, well, you know, I'm tired of the grind, um, but I want to do more people development because I love that so much. What would a career in coaching and facilitating leadership material look like? Still very scared of failing rejection. So it remained a hobby up until a couple months before the pandemic hit when I was in the middle of my formal coach training. And so now, right, at the same time that I was still having a pharmacy job that paid my bills, I knew I couldn't put the stream off any longer. So that was when I officially filed the LLC, got the website up, uh, you know, found the guy to do a website, you know, for cheap, got the business bank account open. And then here we are, I'm still straddling two fences. Um, you know, revenue is trending in the right direction, but still not to the point where I can quit my day job. Uh, but yeah, here we are. This is and doing podcast and network and meet fun people and get my name out there. So here we are. Well, in getting, in getting your name out there, that in a way is marketing. Uh, but how do you manage to balance running your company and finding new sources of revenue to keep the company alive? <laughs> And with your prayer and, and a lot of anxiety. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, part of it is looking to see, well, where is, you know, how are other coaches getting business right now, right? And to realize that this is not a new problem. Um, and so some coaches were kind enough to give me some referrals. Some people are able to, um, you know, join coaching platforms, which I rely on for, you know, uh, a little bit of money to help keep the bills paid. And so that's kind of where things are right now. And it's up to me to ultimately um, go after my own business because I've realized recently that relying on coaching platforms and their and their reimbursement rates to actually launch a, a real career uh, is not feasible. Um, if I just want this to remain a hobby, sure, you know, great. But I, I think my real calling and real satisfaction is uh, focusing on coaching full-time. Well, I, I would think after all that uh, negative experience in the corporate world, you, you would hope that you could get your uh, own company up off the uh, flight deck and into the stratosphere as quickly as possible. What, what plans do you have in that regard? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, tough question. <laughs> I, I've invested in a group coaching program recently because I've decided that incremental progress is nice, but ultimately something I don't want to settle for. So now I have a higher touch level of accountability and I have some real skin in the game because I have to still find a way to pay for that program. So, uh, you know, I am, I, I have just enough capital, but again, yeah, right. At some point you just need to start swinging for the fences instead of, you know, settling for line tribes, which are nice, but not ultimately uh, something you should settle for. So yeah, a uh, higher level of accountability, more experimentation, more networking. Uh, that's all I could ask for really. It might get to the point sometime where you think maybe I need just somebody on the staff to sell. I can't afford anyone else right now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start looking at the chat GPT just to see if I can automate that. No, I, in all seriousness, I wonder if that might be possible. 
Yeah, it is. I've I've started experimenting with some content generation with it, and after after having burned like five hundred dollars on an intern program that didn't work out well, you know, ChatGPT is only a fraction of that, and yeah, it could be much more efficient. So, yeah, as much as we want to support human jobs, if you can't afford to hire somebody, what's the next best thing? <laughs> you get to hire yourself, and you get to be the the janitor as well as the chief executive officer. I've never worn so many hats in my life, Doug. Uh, did you ever get to the point where you said, this is just not worth it. Maybe it's time to go back to college and uh, and major in anthropology or something else. <laughs> uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, Doug. There's, I'm, there's I'm not saying that days. anthropology is a worthless degree, but there aren't a whole lot of signs <laughs> out saying anthropologists want it. Yeah, well, my best friend from college was an anthropology major, and he understands just as a quick tangent that he said, I did not get this degree or get, choose this major for the career options. I chose it because I love the subject, and he understood that he would need to find a different career elsewhere. But yeah, you're right. There aren't a lot of anthropologists job postings on Indeed. So yeah, we can we can, we can can tease that for sure. At least they're self-aware, right? But yeah, all that to say, yeah, no, there's plenty of days where I just want to ask myself, you know, like, I, am I excited to do the work that I know that needs to get done? You know, and if I'm not, then, you know, can I automate it? Can I delegate it? Or do I just need to drop this all together? One of my favorite phrases that I, I got from my leadership friends is to say that I like the idea of starting a business more than actually doing the work of starting a business. And that's true for a lot of things in life, right? A lot of people just like the idea of it, but then, you know, rubber hits the road and everything I've learned in this world will test to see how serious you are about making your dream come true. And on one hand, there is some degree of fate, right? Businesses don't survive just by your individual efforts or your team efforts. There are some factors well beyond your control. At the same time, are you willing to continue to dig and build and experiment and iterate until you get to something that's workable, right? That's the mark of any successful business is uh, how well they iterate until they get a product that's profitable and marketable. Now, you're based in Houston, Texas, a city of very tall buildings, at least in some parts of the town, uh, and you're just getting on the elevator, and there's a prospect getting on with you. Mm. What is your elevator pitch? And it's only, a, let's say, a 20-story building. <laughs> with a very fast elevator. Um, my elevator pitch, I would tell them, I help Asian American leaders initiate and navigate difficult conversations. And, see what and the, the question then is, why Asian American? Isn't that limiting yourself? It's a, yeah, people have said this to me. They say, why are you cutting off business? And I say, in a way I am and in a way I'm not. Number one, if I niche, right, then my messaging becomes all the clearer. And then when I niche, one of three things happens, right? One is that someone says, wow, that's me. I want his help. Maybe I talk to him. The second possibility is that someone says, mm, that's not me, but he's describing someone I know, and maybe I make an introduction or a referral. Or three, someone says, hey, um, I'm, that's not me, but those pain points resonate with me, and I still want to work with him. And yeah, like we'll be happy to clarify, I don't only work with Asian Americans. I'm happy when the check's clear, <laughs> regardless of of your background, especially after I've dealt with Dallas ones. So yeah, definitely grateful for the checks that clear. Now, what would be different about being an Asian American leader and being some other type of 
uh, hyphenated leader in the United States. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I got to be ready with an answer for this. Uh, the main distinction that I like to make is just recognizing that there's a cross-cultural element that people need to be all the more aware of in a global environment, right? And so, yeah, I could just shorten it to say Asian leaders, and maybe I could, maybe that would, you know, expand my scope a little bit, and I'm, I can experiment with that. And the idea is that, you know, based on where I'm located, it just makes sense to say, hey, you know what, I really want to work with people with similar backgrounds to mine that uh, know that, hey, you know what, I have a difficult conversation coming up, whether it's with my family or with my boss or with my direct reports. And so, yeah, it's just to really say, hey, like, this is the pain points that I know I'm working with. And the funny thing is, I'll tell you, like, one time I, I was talking with a Greek podcast host, and he talked about how, hey, like, you're not the only ones that experience shame in, in the family as you as you grow up. I said, great. <laughs> I'm glad, glad we're not alone. And uh, so, again, right, when we are very clear on these things specific to certain cultures and people are able to identify the common themes in these cultures, um, it just leads to some really beautiful conversations. So, yeah, that's why I'm able to, I want to stick with this messaging at least for another six months before I try to experiment or pivot with it because, um people need to realize, hey, you know what, you're going to have to take a more humble posture, because it's a big world out there. You don't know what kind of background your uh, colleagues are dealing with, or your maybe your newfound friends or if you move to your city. And yeah, you don't get to choose your team sometimes. And if you don't, how will you build those relationships as well? And that's, I guess, another part of my elevator pitch I'm still working on. <laughs> What specific problems do Asian Americans have in becoming leaders in this uh, in our country? Mm, yeah, the first is just learning to be more of an advocate for themselves, realizing that if they have a seat at the table, then it's also their place to have a voice at that table. They, no one asks you to sit at the table and just stay silent the whole time. But that's a habit that we've had to unlearn recognizing hey you know what i'm just here to be polite i just don't want to rock the boat i just want to get along with everybody and if you just want to be a teammate and a leader without a title maybe that can work and that is what some people are okay with they will choose to say no i don't want the the added liability of the title that comes with the scrutiny of you know um observations or or feedback from hires up i'd rather just be like the helpful you know, Obi-Wan, you know, on a team or something like that, right? But when you step into a leadership role, assuming that's what you've decided that the, that's the challenge you now want to take, you realize you're going to have to sacrifice your pop popularity for respect. And that is something that's hard to do when all you've known is popularity or that's what you've been told that's what you need to strive for, right? And so when you realize it's okay if people don't like it, I'm doing what's best for the team or I'm going to discuss my interests along with uh, the interests of other people on the team and realize, hey, there's there's a personal interest and then there's a shared interest. And what is the, what is the common benefit? And to be willing to have that difficult moment to say, oh, I'm uncomfortable. And trusting that in that discomfort, there is growth and there are lessons and there's, and there's um, something better on the other side if you're willing to wrestle with it. Right? I'll give a quick example just so that we're not just talking in theory. So at one point, I'm helping out with this salsa dancing club uh, as a volunteer. And, you know, we're, they're struggling to figure out whether or not to charge dues or how much to charge. Because on one hand, you know, you have me who's been out in the world a little bit and says, no, money is a statement of value. 
And then you have students that say, no, money is a barrier to entry. And it's like, well, both can be true, but how do we navigate both of these truths? And worse was that everyone was kind of a people pleaser. And they say, oh, well, you know, this is going to cause bad feelings. We don't want to have this discussion. And it's like, guys, we aren't getting anywhere. And I, and I tried to extend an olive branch to say, hey, look, even if we come to the conclusion that we still just want to keep things free, at least just go through the process, right? If we go through each option and we decide that keeping things free for everybody and just open source sharing is the best options, then so be it. And from there, right? Because I had to be willing to not just be like the helpful guide and, you know, just be like, okay, just, I just want everyone to like me. It's like, no, guys, I, I care too much about this club to let passivity, like, sabotage us. So if you are on board with the idea that we need to at least wrestle with this idea, let's do it. And I won't take it personally or be upset if we come to a conclusion that I personally don't prefer. Right. So something like that. Uh, that that worked out okay, though, in that case, I imagine. Oh, it did. Yeah, we came to a beautiful compromise that none of us would have come to on our own. We just said, hey, for the students that are in this club, we're going to keep it free because they already pay enough in tuition. But when other people outside the university were finding out about our club and wanted to join, of course, we, we weren't going to turn away. But we also realized, you know what, they're working like they can afford it. and we charge very reasonable dues. But thankfully, since there's not much overhead, right now we have money in the bank. And it, especially when we charge, like, I'll tell you, the number is 20 a semester, $20 a semester. And everyone's like, that's nothing. But because there's no overhead, thankfully, that's more than enough margin for us. And yeah, I, I wouldn't mind charging a little extra, but I don't want to look greedy. So yeah, we just left it and said, oh, hey, you guys are the official officers that run this place, and I'm just here to support it. But I will continue to stretch and challenge as needed. But at some point, we say, hey, Jerry, back off. Like, okay, well, you know. Jerry, as you have tried to uh, uh, overcome one uh, hurdle after another in in a very hurdle-heavy uh, uh, career so far, mm -hmm. have you ever gotten to the point where you said there's there are outside forces that are preventing my success? Of course I have. Um, you know, the field of pharmacy has gone through several several challenges where people were scared to graduate because it meant that now they had loans that they had no way of paying off and it's easy to point the finger to say well this isn't fair that isn't fair right insurance companies are shameless in how they kill independent pharmacies and you can that's all true and yet at the same time that's not within my locus of control right it's it's nice to point fingers for a while at least it's and in a way it's helpful just to identify where are the problem points Right. Where are the sources of stress that are ultimately things you have to be aware of? Right. Like, oh, the weather ruined my picnic. Right. The wet, you know, the rain ruined my picnic. It's like, well, that's true. But can you bring a tarp? Can you reschedule your picnic? Right. You know, what can I do in pharmacy or what can I do in my coaching career to keep it moving forward? Because it is easy to say, well, you know, why did I jump in from a overcrowded pharmacy market to an overcrowded coaches market right that's no fun <laughs> because there's plenty of coaches and uh yeah so it's i used to be that way in fact i'm still tempted to to fall back into that on bad days right if i hit a rough enough patch and i'll say well this isn't fair and that's not fair and this isn't fair and then you know once you vent a little bit and you have a, a good circle around you to say well hey jerry well what's your next action Right. Jerry, it'd be, it would be great to talk to you in about five years to see where you have uh, developed your company. Where do you hope to have it in that period of time? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, 
And hopefully I'm not having another conversation like this where I'm like, look, I'm almost there, guys. Uh, my hope, and I shouldn't just say hope, I mean, you know, but the, the vision, because, you know, hope is very vague. It's nice, but it's vague. Um, yeah, I have a I have a routine where, you know, I'm coaching in the morning, you know, for like three or four hours in the morning. In the afternoon, I'm able to, you know, eat a nice you know, leisurely lunch, take a nap, read some, and then, you know, in the evening, have dinner with friends and just be able to enjoy the, the night with people I care about. And yeah, whether it's passive income streams from, you know, an online course or the book that I helped uh, contribute a chapter to, um, or being able to charge, you know, premium rates for keynotes or other things, um, that's where I'd love to be. And to not just do that because I'm not just trying to accumulate a lot of money in the bank, right? Like if I'm getting a million dollars just to pay for all the healthcare bills that I accumulated because of the heart attack I nearly had trying to get this thing off the ground, you have to keep it in perspective. And so, yeah, I would love to travel more, not just so I can enjoy travel, but to go to like third world countries and you know, learn and, and help with the skill set that I've accumulated as a pharmacist or otherwise to help really, you know, get other get other communities stronger as well jerry do you have a website i think you mentioned you did but you didn't tell us what it is sure sure yeah the website and here's a free giveaway guys i'll, I'll even mention that for you uh the website and the free giveaway where i talk about my five-step framework to keep my conflict aversion from getting the best of me and for anyone else who doesn't want their conflict aversion to get the best of them regardless of your racial background is uh, www.adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide, G-U-I-D, like dog. -E. And Jerry, now you could go into any of those reasons or anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't talked about. Sure, sure. Um, like I, fun, fun, fun celebration moment was that in my podcasting journey, I met a podcast host who said, hey, Jerry, I'm writing a book and I want you to contribute a chapter and, you know, are you, are you in? And I said, absolutely. And I was ill-prepared until I had, you know, a coaching session that made me realize that I wasn't putting my business first. I wasn't giving the best part of my day to help my business succeed. And so I committed to writing 30 minutes uninterrupted for several months, got it on time. And the book got picked up by Wiley and published this past March. Uh, called Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs by Alex Berkman. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, and so there I unpacked my insights a little more deeply, got a couple more specific case studies and raw examples uh, from my own journey, whether it's helping, uh, you know, deal with a sexual uh, predator in my church class or having to evict a roommate. There are a lot of, a lot of weird but poignant examples of, hey, you know what? You're not going to get better until you engage. So yeah, happy to share that book. It's just it's just pricey enough to qualify for free shipping, but won't wreck your wallet. So check it out sometime. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.